Walk, believe, or walk, Daniel. Walk, believe, or walk, Daniel. Walk, tell you walk, Daniel. Hello, all, and welcome to another installment of Patio Politics. Although uh, the title might be undergoing a slight adjustment, Dad, can you speak to that? Are we still calling ourselves Patio Politics, or have we evolved to uh, something different? Well, exciting news. <laughs> We're getting ready to launch a website called Our Thought Bubble. And, um, you know, it's going to include a lot of these videos. It's going to include some of the writings. Uh, and it's going to be a, an inclusive political website. Um, we're going to try to break people out of their their echo bubbles, uh, whether it be a Democratic echo bubble or a Republican echo bubble, and we'll try to uh, combine a lot of different thoughts into some kind of um, combination of the two, where people can be open-minded and you know accepting of other people's thoughts. Uh, I think right now society is kind of polarized, uh, and especially in terms of politics, and hopefully. Uh, with our thought bubble, we can discuss some of these polarizing issues and show some open-mindedness and uh, maybe change some opinions and maybe sort of um, defend some positions as well. So look for that uh, shortly. Yes, and just to, uh, to expand on that, when we say our thought bubble, we don't mean the, the two handsome young men uh, in conversation right now. We mean our thought bubble. This is, like you said, an inclusive adventure um, uh, to which we welcome everyone. So again, that's our thought bubble. Now, Dad, is the site live yet or is it still in its beta phase? It's still in its beta phase, but look for it in um, about a week or so. And you are responsible for building it. Is that correct? You are taking it upon yourself to design this website. A man of many talents. Can you tell us about how that process has been as a part-time web designer and developer? Well, I will tell you, that's why I'm saying look for it in a week or two, because it's a little bit more complicated than I thought it was going to be. Mm. Uh, I bought a uh, off-the-shelf off the product, uh, which needs a lot of modification. And unfortunately, there's not a whole lot of support out there for it. So it's not a Wix and it's not a uh, any other of the online simpler uh, website websites to design, um, but the price was right, so I'll leave it at that. <laughs> so long as the price is right, and just so everyone knows, uh, you are an extraordinarily capable um, man with diverse talents. You uh, do everything from building cabinets to uh, installing, I don't know, all sorts of appliances to building websites to doing photography so truly a, a renaissance man a polymath in the purest sense uh, but not only do you do all those great things and you've also raised a quite remarkable young uh <laughs> set of children <laughs> but you're also an incisive observer of american politics so with that being said i want to know your thoughts about uh, Raphael Warnock's defeat of uh, Herschel Walker in the Georgia runoff election that transpired just a few days ago. We're recording here on the 8th of December, 2022. Uh, the runoff, which occurred on the 6th of December of this same year, uh, came after uh, about a month's lapse between the original election and in early November. Uh, the day on which all elections across the country were held <clears throat> in this very moment. So, Dad, what are your thoughts, general thoughts, about this runoff election? Well, in our, our first episode of Patio Politics, when we were down in Florida and I had just driven through the state of Georgia, um, we both I believe we both predicted that Herschel Walker was not going to win this. Uh, we didn't believe, or I didn't believe, that he was going to have coattails. Um, I think people were voting against Stacey Abrams and uh, then they were it, it come to find out they were splitting their ticket uh, when they when they moved down to Warnock and uh, Herschel Walker so it, he didn't lose by as many votes as I thought and actually voter turnout was so much more than I predicted I didn't think that voter turnout was going to be that strong so you know I was asking a couple of friends a couple of colleagues at work and um 
you know, so I said, uh, you know, is, is democracy safe again? Are, you know, can we have the all-star game in Georgia? Uh, is it still Jim Crow 2.0? And I, I was kind of saying these things tongue in cheek, but not really, because, you know, if you listen to the rhetoric on the, on the Democrat side, you know, everything was wrong with voting in Georgia. People be, were being held back from voting. Um, and I, I just can't imagine that in today's day and age, um, you know, at gunpoint or, or whatever, people were unable to vote. So I think the sheer numbers that turned out for this runoff election indicates to me that that there really are not any issues that I can see uh, in Georgia. But it, it kind of went the way that we both had predicted. Uh, but I will say that I was very surprised about the voter turnout. Very surprised. And I wonder if there will be an acknowledgement of that fact, that fact being uh, the historic numbers of Georgians who are turning out to this, to this uh, subsequent election, the first as well. Um, uh, maybe a mea culpa, an admission of, of hyperbole at the very least, uh, among those on the left who claim that this was Jim Crow 2.0, as you said, I believe Joe Biden, President Joe Biden, uh, coined that, perhaps not coined that phrase, but at least um, popularized it in many of his speeches. Uh, so I don't imagine that there will be that apology from anyone uh, on that side of the aisle. Uh, but it is heartening, nonetheless, to, to see so many people turning out to this election to be engaged in this process. Uh, I think we have to also acknowledge the success of uh, Pastor Warnock. I mean, it's quite an impressive feat in the span of two years. He's basically run for his office four times. Uh, and he's, I believe he's won it four times, right? So in 2020, uh, in 2020, he was running for an open seat and that's why we have the, the subsequent election only two years into what is normally a six-year term for United States senators. At the time in 2020, that fraught election that uh, pitted uh, Joe Biden against President, uh, former President Trump, uh, Warnock was facing off against Kelly Loeffner, um, whom he handily defeated. So, but again, in a runoff, he had to he had to do that twice, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he's done it again, two times, two victories. So obviously, uh, he is presenting a candidate well, behind whom there's a lot of support in Georgia, or at least enough support to get him over the finish line four times, really, which is a remarkable feat, uh, given how polarized and how the countries and how difficult it is to win uh, public office. So maybe just some thoughts on that string of successes. What do you say to that? I, especially in Georgia, which I think they consider a purple state, uh, neither red nor blue. I think it's impressive. Um, obviously, the message that he's sending is resonating with the residents. Um, and, you know, and maybe Herschel Walker's message, again, we had touched on it a couple of episodes ago, um, didn't necessarily resonate the, the way that it should have. And, and uh, again, speaking with a couple of colleagues at work, they thought uh, Herschel Walker was being a little um, deceiving uh, when, when the abortion issue came up uh, with his past. Um, you know, so I'm not sure how the residents of Georgia felt about that, if, he, if they viewed him as being uh, a hypocrite or um, if they believed his story. And again, I'm not here to judge his story. Um, so, you know, his, his, his position on abortion didn't necessarily, uh, jive with, um, or align with his actions. Uh, and again, maybe it was some hyperbola, hyperbole, in, in, you know, invented by the media. I'm not really sure. I'm not down there. Um, so I just heard some of the stories, but I'm not sure again, how that message if that hit home and how hard Warnock was, was striking that message. And it, you know, it became, you know, interesting with the whole abortion issue where, where I think Warnock basically is very pro-abortion and, and late term 
uh, abortion, um, which I don't know if even people who are for or favorable towards abortion or women's rights would be as favorable towards such late term abortions. So, um, but Warnock, you, you can't argue with his success. Yeah, no, I agree. And interestingly, that was an issue, the abortion issue, on which a lot of these state elections seem to have hinged, seem to have pivoted. Uh, and, and that, I think we discussed, was not at all our expectation. It seems to have been uh, or to have played a vital role in Pennsylvania, uh, certainly did so in Arizona, um, and indubitably did so again in Georgia. So uh, I think the Republican Party going forward, if it seeks victory, <laughs> can take away from these three states uh, serving as examples the lesson that the, the abortion issue needs to be addressed in perhaps a more delicate way that's uh, perhaps more palatable to the to the larger electorate. And also we, we note again uh, the loss of uh, another Trump-backed candidate, someone uh, toward whom he was very warm uh, and uh, behind whom he put all his support, uh, not all his monetary support, but his rhetorical support. Now, of course, he didn't show up in Georgia to, to endorse him um, physically right there and then because that was thought <laughs> to be uh, unsightly for the time uh, because uh, he is now marked, I think, and rightfully so with the the um, blemish of a loser, uh, having, <laughs> I think, dragged a lot of dubious candidates to, to, to defeat. Uh, so your brief thoughts on President Trump's role um, in this runoff election uh, on Herschel Walker as a candidate, and maybe we can get into him uh, and his escapades as of late. Well, I just want to go back to what you said about um, the Republicans coming up with a candidate. It's um, it's very interesting in candidate selection, and and we know that there's a lot of dirty laundry that goes on behind, you know, picking the perfect candidate, moving that candidate forward. We know that there is Democratic money that helps support different people in the primaries. Doug Mastriano here in Pennsylvania as being one of them. I mean, the Democrats basically throw a lot threw a lot of money at advertising in the primaries towards Doug Mastriano, knowing full well that he was kind of on this this fringe. So I would say, based on that, really all is fair, or all seems to be fair in the ugly war of politics. But what you had mentioned earlier is, so so being let's assume that all is fair with politics. Do the Republicans then go out and look for candidates who may be more moderate on abortion? So I think Herschel Walker was no abortion, you know, and Doug Mastriano was the same way. No abortion under any circumstance, uh, incest, rape, um, life of the mother. So do you go out and seek candidates? And again, we talk about this whole vetting process towards, uh, let's just call it religious right. Do you go out and seek candidates who are more moderate on abortion so that their message resonates more with, you know, with sort of independent voters or some some Democrats who may be frustrated with uh, with the Democrat now that's that's on the ticket or maybe doesn't like for whatever reason the Democrats on the ticket. I mean, are you sort of saying let's, you know, the for the Republican Party, I don't want to say let's, but using the Republican Party as an example, go out and sort of endorse someone who's more of a moderate. I mean, is that is that all all is fair? I mean, I don't really know how. how well, these... I don't think there's anything uh, inherently deceitful. Uh, in so doing, I think when you describe the Democrat Party's deliberate attempt to elevate the stature of these fringe figures like Doug Mastriano uh, and others, um, there's a there's a mischievous, nefarious purpose behind it. Uh, what you're talking about is um, a more sober and judicious selection process, looking at moderate conservatives or Republicans. Um, that are palatable to the larger uh, electorate. Now, 
the risk in doing that is that you end up with the, the squishy, as they as they're called, Rhino Republicans, Republican in name only, uh, <laughs> a term of which I'm not at all fond, but uh, is one that is widely applied, and that's part of the challenge. I mean, yeah, you you can find a candidate who is more broadly appealing to an electorate, but you might end up with a figure like Mitt Romney. You might end up with someone like uh, John McCain, who was quite uh, open to uh, the liberal agenda later on in his career. So uh, examples of that are Legion. Uh, so it's, it is an issue with candidate selection, of course, and I think the intrusion of Donald Trump uh, in that process really sort of uh, sullied the lot. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think more importantly, the Republican Party needs to have a better, more unified message, a, a better response to uh, the issue of abortion on which we're focused at this time. Um, and the response, I think, could be quite simple. They can simply point to the Constitution. They can, well, even before doing that, they can simply point to the latest Dobbs decision and say that this matter has been decided in court lawfully and that the issue is now uh, remanded to the states. And they can say nothing more about it. Now, if, if they're pressed to explain their positions further, they're more than welcome to do so. But to satisfy uh, an inquisitive voter or a curious reporter to whom they're bound to speak, uh, they can simply say that. They can simply say that the issue has returned to the states. That is uh, the law of the land at present. And that they'll be more than happy to comment on uh, on the issue uh, if anything were to change and in the foreseeable future nothing is to change so again it's not from a philosophical standpoint the best response that i'd like to see my lawmaker uh, deliver but it is certainly an acceptable one um, that would relieve the candidate of the necessity of having to stake a controversial position such as that staked by Mastriano or Herschel Walker. Now, I might agree with the, the unconditional um, banning of abortion, something about which we can talk at another time. I mean, it's a more philosophical conversation to have. Um, but if I were a candidate for office, running for statewide office to represent that state in, in, in the federal government, I'm not so sure that I would disclose that in such stark terms. I think that I would save that for a different career. If I were a political commentator, a political philosopher, or a podcaster, or a YouTuber, or if I wanted to share that opinion on our thought bubble, I would do that. But if I were entering public office in a very contentious time, um, after having debated a very difficult issue, I would be more cautious of being so um, at least outwardly zealous in my position. Yeah, well, I, I think, I mean, you would be, as a candidate, you would be hard pressed because it's such a, it's such a hot button topic. You would be hard pressed to deliver some kind of answer on, on, on your position. Uh, they wouldn't let you get away with, well, the Dobbs decision has been remanded and, and you know, to the States and, you know, it's up to the state. Well, you're representing the state. You're the senator. You're you're going to pull a lever one way or another on various votes. How do you feel about it? What are your thoughts? I mean, well, like a, a federal, a senator in the federal government has no role in that. I mean, he the decision is made in the judicial branch by the judicial branch, right? So that's a co-equal partner in in our federal structure. Um, so that you know, the, the Senate has no role in that. The, the decision is made, it goes to the states. The senator uh, is now a representative of his state in, to some extent, but he's he's in the federal government. He's not a state senator. So at that point, he doesn't even have a real significant role in legislating what that abortion process might be. He has no role in saying, okay, well, I, I prefer it at uh, 15 weeks. That should be the point after which there are no abortions. Well, the, the, I don't think I don't think the public knows that, though. I think, you know, I think what what this 
what Walker and Warnock proved is the public doesn't know that they don't understand that, um, you know, that the Senator really doesn't have uh, a vote in that in the future. They, you know, they think that, you know, I mean, the voters feel that if they, if they tilt the, the power one way or another, that they're eventually going to be able to put a new Supreme court justice in or two, let's say for the, for the Democrats and hope and maybe revert, uh, the ruling and, and, you know, bring back, reinstate Roe v. Wade. So, so I think the voter is going to want to know your position on, you know, on, on a lot of things. They, they're not, I don't want to say they're not smart enough, but I'll say they're not smart enough to know, you know, the difference between a state Senator and the difference between a, you know, a Senator at the federal level, at, at the federal level and federal government. And and they want to know your position on same sex marriage. They want to know your position on. They want to know, hey, is he is he or she like me? You know, is there a trait which I find? Uh, is he part of my tribe? Is she part of my tribe? Is there a trait? Again, are they in my? We'll call it. Are they in my echo bubble? So you know. I don't think that any any anyone running for public office, especially now, would be able to get away with that type of answer. It's a very intellectual answer, and it's the correct answer. But you, I don't think anyone would get let off the hook with that. I will so, say, I I unlike you, do look upon the American mind uh, somewhat more favorably. Uh, Lamentably, I think the education system has failed us in many ways, and this is probably a great example of that failure. It's a travesty to think that um, you know the, the the public doesn't know these very fundamental facts of our uh, civic structure, our political structure, um, and that warrants further education. Now, for an issue like marriage, for instance, because it is a federal issue that's being addressed right now uh, in the legislative branch, I suppose that uh, it's it's not um, shocking that uh, that candidates would be asked about that and, and uh, encouraged to give their opinions, and I think that's worthwhile. But again, uh, back to the issue of abortion, uh, I think a, a candidate could very easily a Republican candidate especially, could very easily point to the decision of the court and uh, wash his hands of it, so to speak, because it's not something over which at this point he or she has any power. Uh, now, maybe it's important just really quickly to lay out the, the, Senate, the senator's role. I mean, he, he, he or she serves for six years, has a role in uh, advising and giving consent to nominees for office, um, nominees for the Supreme Court. So I guess to, to, to that extent, he or she does have a role in the judicial branch, but uh, not an immediate one. Um, and and other matters. I mean, this is supposed to be the august sort of upper chamber, right, in which there's stability and sobriety and sound judgment and good good legislative governance. Of course, we find that mostly lacking, but that is its fundamental constitutional role. And it would probably behoove us all to, to understand that a little bit more thoroughly. Uh, so hopefully that was a brief but useful uh, <laughs> primer on, on what exactly the Senate is uh, supposed to do. So let's move on from the Georgia election results to uh, the Twitter files. Now, tell me that, have you created your Twitter account? <laughs> You have promised me your intention to do so. <laughs> I was thinking about it only because Elon Musk bought Twitter, and I actually like to follow him just to see what goes on in in his mind. I mean, and and it's some, sort of an unfiltered look. Listen, ten years ago, I don't know if you recall, but I I said, hey, if you were a mechanical engineer or you were an engineer. Uh, coming through college that I would have highly recommended that you go to work for Elon Musk and go to work there for free because he is the modern day genius of our time is really second to none. And unfortunately he's being ostracized by, by the mass media, um, for, you know, for trying to open up a platform 
to make it the way it used to be and to make it a little freer. But I, I hold Elon Musk in the highest regard. You know, he looks at things and, okay, so there's a lot of waste at NASA. Um, you know, they're not reusing the rockets. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to build a rocket and we're going to reuse it and it's going to be a lot more profitable and we're going to put satellites in space a lot cheaper and a lot faster. And it's like everything that this guy touches, it seems to, I don't want to say turn to gold, but it seems to have a lot of thought. Uh, he's a living genius as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and I just find him to be very, very interesting from the PayPal days to the electric car to SpaceX uh, and now to Twitter. I just find it remarkable. I find it refreshing. Uh, and and he's releasing a lot of this information, which, you know, a lot of people were suspicious of. A lot of people are suspicious of the media, the mass media. I, I, I would say on both sides, but I would say definitely as an independent voter, I don't really, I mean, I, I listen to the media, uh, you know, I'll, I kind of move between, I'll, I'll, I'll listen to a little bit or watch a little bit of CNN, I'll go to Fox News, I'll, I'll listen to a little bit of NPR, um, CBS, NBC, and I can tell you there's a tremendous amount of bias. And I can also tell you, well, this is nothing new to you, but it's it's so weighted in favor of the Democratic Party. The levers are so available to control the message. Mass media and its influence uh, is controlled by the Democratic Party. And pulling away the veneer at Twitter sort of has exposed a, a, a lot of things. And, um, you know, the FBI was involved, or it seems like the FBI is involved. And we're going to go a little bit uh, deeper. I'm sure a lot more is going to come out with Baker. Um, it, it, it's just like a spy novel. I mean, it's, it's incredible what, what the public didn't know, but I can tell you that this probably goes on at the New York times. And, and, and unfortunately, Taibbi is getting, you know, uh, dragged through the mud. This would be worthy of a Nobel prize. Had it been the reverse, had it been some, some Republican, you know, outlet Fox news or something that, that was brought down, uh, Watergate, um, you know, but exposing, exposing these files is just good journalism. Um, unfortunately, you know, it's not the type of journalism that, that the progressive left wants to see. They're trying to protect their, their butts. And, and now you can see they're all in damage control on it. Um, so I think it's really, really interesting, and I'm and I'm watching it unfold in real time. It's it's really amazing. Yeah, and there is an example of a of a let's say a Fox News having been exposed to some extent and been brought down at least a peck or two. You'll remember Roger Ailes, the the former what was he president of Fox News, who was exposed uh, along with Bill O'Reilly and some of the other. Um, let's uh, call them lascivious uh, employees there, perhaps acting. Uh, in an ungentlemanly fashion towards some of the female employees with whom and over whom they were working. Uh, uh, I think multiple films were <laughs> promptly put out um, describing his, in theatrical form his, his downfall and his disgrace. Uh, you're absolutely right. I think whether you um, are pleased by the disclosures uh, of which Mr. Taibbi made us aware or not, it is a courageous journalistic effort, <laughs> the likes of which we've been deprived for many, many years. Uh, now, I think it was somewhat awkwardly put forth. Uh, now, Dad, you've not yet created your Twitter account. I have within the past few months with the, uh, with the introduction of Elon Musk uh, to that company. Uh, and I read the, the Twitter files, and it was a fascinating read. It, it was put out, though, in, in tweets. So what should have been a, a more, uh, I don't know, comprehensive journalistic product was forced into this micro-blogging format um, in, in which it didn't quite fit. So it was a little bit... Um, uh, a little bit unwieldy, kind of, you know, kind of weird to, to read a, what is a 
shocking uh, historic story uh, with sequels with more to come as you as you made a mention of but uh but i mean we cut co you covered a lot there in, in that in that response of yours uh, so i want to ask you uh, first we'll address elon musk uh, do you not regard him as many do as uh, crypto white nationalist uh of which he's been accused uh, of being he's said to be um sort of um alt-right adjacent someone who is only speciously opening up this platform for for freedom but really is um, permitting it to become the platform on which that detested uh, word hate speech is spread so what do you say to his detractors who uh, preemptively accuse him of ulterior motives I think at this point, everyone's going to start throwing mud because he's really opening up Pandora's box. Uh, so I think there's going to be a lot of players who, listen, if he, I mean, he's got access unless, unless uh, well, I'll say, I don't want to accuse Baker, but, you know, whoever at Twitter started to delete uh, key files, and I don't know how how deep they can delete, and I don't know how far back Elon Musk can go into the archives of Twitter. But I think that there's a lot of people right now who are probably very worried. And so what you're seeing now is it's not even preemptive because uh, preemptive would have been two months ago when everybody was claiming that they were going to leave Twitter and they were putting pressure, uh, pressure campaign on his advertisers. Um, so you're going to see it's just, you know, all hands on deck. Um, they're just going to start to attack and destroy uh, Elon Musk. Uh, and he's really taking one for First Amendment, which, you know, we talked about this before. Uh, when I was in college, I I read, uh, I had a, a course on the First Amendment, uh, freedom of speech. And at the time when I was in college, you know, there was there were books by Nat Hentoff and, you know, it it talked about, Nazis having, uh, you know, freedom of speech and ACLU defending that type of speech. And I remember back when I was in college, I was thinking, oh, wow, these Republicans um, and the way they try to suppress speech and, you know, the Democrats are for freedom of speech. And I, I would think that maybe in the 60s and 70s, maybe that would have been true. But I can tell you my thoughts on that and my opinion on that has done a complete 360 where I see speech really being tamped down by, by organizations that I didn't think would tamp down speech. And I see language being used by the ACLU. I, I don't even consider the ACLU the same ACLU as they were in, you know, 1980 when I re recognized them as the ACLU. You talk about a, a, a group that's changed. Um, so, you know, I think I, I think um, Elon Musk, you know, taking over Twitter and now releasing this, I, again, he opened Pandora's box and he's got to be ready for the, the swift strike that's, that's coming back at him. The, the good news, I guess, is that the uh, New York Times employees are probably going to be out on strike. So I don't know if there's any journalists right now. And, and, I, th and I think the union members are, are encouraging um, the public at large not to go to the website and uh, not to look at the online and, <laughs> and not to participate in Wordle, which, <laughs> thank God, if I have to see someone, someone else's Wordle score, I think I'm going <laughs> to throw up in my own mouth. But, um, you know, that's kind of how I feel. I feel like, you know, he's, he's the pariah right now, the pariah, uh, uh, to, uh, mass media. Yeah. And he's, he's peculiarly easy to hate. Uh, I, of course, uh, hold him in the highest esteem. Uh, and I think that, uh, estimation of his ability and of his genius is probably attributable to you uh, because you have long been a champion of his work. I remember first learning about Tesla from you 
uh, I remember learning about the the roadster and, and how infatuated you were by this by this idea of this lotus-like car being transformed by this eccentric PayPal um, genius who was quite young at the time. I think when he left when he left PayPal to develop what would later become Tesla. Um, so I, I have long followed his career as an admirer um, through you, who was also an admirer. So I suppose my view of him is slightly tinted by that early regard uh, and, and biased by a, a youthful um, exuberance over what he was doing and what he promised to accomplish and what he has accomplished. <laughs> uh, but I don't think that my opinion of him is so distorted as to uh, fail to recognize the importance, the historical importance of what he's doing. For so long, we as a as a consuming public, consumers of news specifically in this case, have been misled. We've been lied to. We've been prevented from seeing very important and relevant things, such as the contents of Mr. Hunter Biden's infamous laptop. We've been uh, we've been regarded as undeserving of the truth, uh, of incapable of handling it. Uh, and that, frankly, is not the way in which a democratic republic ought to operate. Um, and to me, it's, it's quite offensive. And it should be offensive to everyone to know that uh, our government and our institutions think so little of us that they would that they would shield from us the truth, that they would shield from us the vital information by which we will make our decisions, um, by which we'll cast our votes, and and on which we live our lives. Uh, so it's incredibly refreshing for once to have to have one man, one heroic man in this instance, sort of take control. And I think that's another component is is we're a hero uh, worshiping and hero seeking species i think as humans not just americans but as humans we we like to see a great man step up in a time of need um, and fill a void and i think for a lot of people donald trump played that role in 2016. now i know that analysis of the situation is completely anathema to to many to many uh, <laughs> viewers of this channel and many of our family members as well <laughs> from whom we might have become quite distant uh, for having for having uttered these things but for a lot of people um, he stood in the breach he was um, someone to whom uh, whom the the mainstream media could not knock down uh, someone who had a stiff spine stiff neck as well um, but was unyielding. Uh, so he was the heroic individual of 2016. Uh, I think Elon Musk, in many people's mind, is the is similarly the the hero or the anti-hero of 2022 and probably beyond. He's doing something that I think is absolutely essential, and it's very dynamic. And if you're not on Twitter right now, uh, I urge you to join. At, if only in the capacity as a as a spectator. Uh, now I am <laughs> no no tweeter by nature. I, I tend to speak somewhat volubly and uh, parenthetically. So a microblogging site is is not most suitable for someone like me. Uh, right at this point, I've been monitoring things just as a spectator, and I must say, uh, for free, with only an internet connection. It's almost as entertaining as having a Netflix subscription. It truly is. <laughs> just just um, learning about the release of the Twitter files on Friday night, uh, and then reading them with rapt attention, and learning about the machinations and the deception and the skullduggery in which these middle managers at Twitter, and probably through Mr. Baker, our <laughs> bureaucratic state was involved, um, was was both entertaining, disquieting, uh, but above all, um, enlightening. So 
again, my encouragement to you is to, to sign up for Twitter, follow Elon Musk, follow everyone else, follow me. Maybe we can have uh, comments below. What should my father's Twitter handle be? What should be your name, I wonder? Hmm, any thoughts? Uh, old geezer. <laughs> <laughs> You have to you have to stop that. You are not a geezer. You're not far from it. Far from it. Don't embrace the, the geezer status. Don't embrace that. <laughs> well, uh, so we we talked in sort of broad strokes about the Twitter file. So for those of you unacquainted with the story, uh, essentially, um, Elon Musk, uh, with the aid of uh, former Rolling Stone reporter Matt Taibbi, who was who was um, instrumental during the Occupy Wall Street period and, and did a lot of good reporting in the financial sector, who's now moved on to Substack, where he, he, he runs a, a very uh, informative independent page. Uh, the two of them um, decided to, to make public sort of the internal memos regarding the the justification for the suppression of the infamous Hunter Biden laptop story. Uh, now, the reason for their having suppressed it was, in Elon Musk's terms, upon his dismissal of Jim Baker, unconvincing. Uh, they deemed it um, hacked material, of course, after gleefully circulating on its platform, the Trump's tax return information uh, of which we've all, about which we've all forgotten, but that was <laughs> a pure sense, a pure example of something private being hacked. Uh, the Hunter laptop story, to, to cover it very quickly, uh, tells the tale of uh, the one sorry, wretched Mr. Hunter Biden leaving his laptop at a repair shop in Delaware. The repairman repeatedly trying to contact Hunter Biden to return it to him, uh, failure to get in contact with what was at the time a very busy man uh, traveling abroad, as we know, between Ukraine and China and other places. Uh, so this laptop was then handed over to, among others, the authorities, to Rudy Giuliani, to, uh, to the New York Post and to others. Um, for whom it would be of interest. Uh, the New York Post reported on it, again, America's oldest newspaper, founded by the great Alexander Hamilton. And immediately upon its circulation on uh, Twitter, it was blocked, it was suppressed. You couldn't send its link in a direct message. You could tweet about it, you couldn't make mention of it, lest you be uh, kicked off the platform, locked out of your account. as happened to Kaylee McEnany, who was then the uh, speaker, um, the press secretary for President Trump. Uh, and this is all explained in these files. So you, you learn exactly what these managers, what these officials at Twitter were saying and thinking in real time, how they were justifying its suppression. Uh, they were responding to both parties, uh, Rep Representative Rokana from California asking for a rationale um, a gentleman for Trump's campaign uh, asking for a reason for uh, Ms. McEnany's uh, dismissal from the platform or, or banning from its services, to which there was no good reply. So that's the, that's the story in its very briefest form. And I encourage everyone, if they haven't already, to, to check out these Twitter files about maybe, maybe 30 tweets in length, maybe more than that. Um, that are that are absolutely um, startling. Uh, and I, maybe we can finish on one topic regarding the Twitter files, and it was President Donald J. Trump's response on his microblogging site, Truth Social, to the revelations of this of this uh, of this event. So he wrote, and I quote, "So." With the revelation of massive, and these words are capitalized, massive and widespread fraud and deception in working closely with big tech companies, the DNC and the Democrat Party, do you throw the presidential election results of 2020 out, capitalized, and declare the rightful winner? Or do you have a new election? 
A massive fraud of this type and magnitude allows for the termination of all rules, regulations, and articles, even those found in the Constitution. Our great founders did not want and would not condone false and fraudulent elections. Dad, your response to Mr. Trump's truth. Well, my response to that, and that's actually the first time that I've heard that. Um, my response is he is a complete sore loser. Um, there's just no question about it. He just, and, and that's why when I look at him as viable candidate, and we talked about this during the last episode, I, I just can't see I, now. I really don't even know if I, I had predicted that he would make his way to be, you know, through the, through the primaries to become the candidate. I really don't think that that he's going to make his way through the primaries to become the candidate. He is just so fixated with the previous election that he just, his pride and his ego, and we talked about his overblown ego, <clears throat> just will not allow him to get beyond losing that election. It's just like build a bridge and get over it. You, you have to at some point I know it hurts. I know it's painful. I know you can't believe it. I know you feel like the country, and I'm speaking to Donald Trump, I know you feel like the country is going in the wrong direction. It was much better under you. Uh, and, and these are your political talking points. But you, the election was fair. I talked earlier, and it, and it was certified. And I talked earlier about how the levers are in favor of the Democratic Party. So all the levers, so are you going to say because there was meddling and there weren't a whole lot of positive words said about you on CBS or NBC or CNN um, that that the election should be thrown out? All of the, it seems like all of the levers, except for maybe, again, Fox News and a couple of other small outlets that the media is in lockstep. The major newspapers, all of the mass media, film industry is in lockstep with the Democratic Party. So you have to you have two strikes. If you're a Republican, you have two strikes or actually maybe three strikes going against you. You have the majority of voters registered in the United States are, are Democrats. You have the, the media against you. And again, it comes down to what we talked about with DeSantis as a candidate. It comes down to being able to express good governance, to be able to have a history of good governance, and to be able to tell the American people what you're going to be able to do for them to improve their lives. What is the plan moving forward? Not let's look back in the past. The past is the past. If you if he cannot get past that, then then I'm sorry, he is not going to be moving forward. It's and and to suspend the Constitution, it's ridiculous. Yeah, I wonder if it's not in some ways uh, relevant to my point about uh, the age of our political leaders at this point. Uh, perhaps not because Trump seems to defy um, aging and time in many ways. Uh, but again, it's it's an elderly man approaching his eighth decade of life, absolutely fixated on the past, you know, uh, unable to look forward, unable to design a fruitful vision for the future. I just wonder aloud if, if maybe, maybe a, a soon-to-be octogenarian is, is um, vulnerable to that type of thinking because of, of where he is in his life. Or it could just be his absolutely juvenile personality to fixate on a past wrong, to hold on to a grievance, to be completely incapable of moving beyond it um, and and succeeding in the future. I don't think he realizes that so much of his future success, if he's to have any future success, depends upon his ability to put that behind him, to let bygones be bygones, however large those bygones may be, and, and to craft a, a forward-looking um, agenda because one things that America one thing that Americas don't tend to do is is to mope and to sulk and to fixate on past wrongs. I mean, we're we're if not a particularly well educated, as you indicated, uh, people, 
we're certainly an industrious one. We're certainly a, a, a progressive one, and I don't mean that necessarily politically. I mean that in in a more um, um, common sense, right? We we want uh, promotions. We want to to open a second shop. We want to buy a second home. And I don't mean to say that we're acquisitive uh, and and simply cheap or at least soulless materialists. Um, but but we want to strive. We want to 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 go west. We want to settle the the frontier. We want to build skyscrapers. We want to to drive fast cars. We want to to build the best stadiums and and all these things. And we don't want to be resentful. We don't want to relive uh, something over which we now have no control. Now this idea of retroactively um, wiping away the results of this past election and somehow holding it anew is positively insane. And that's not something uh, to which even the most ardent Trump supporter can subscribe and still call him or herself a patriotic American. This notion of terminating all rules, regulations, and articles, even those found in the Constitution, is completely inimical to everything that I stand for, and I think you stand for, and every constitutionalist stands for. Uh, no man is greater than our Constitution, no woman. Uh, it is the very heartbeat of our country. It is, it is the grand document of liberty um, over which our founding fathers toiled in 1787 and and then uh, and then beyond so speaking of things that are deeply offensive to me there are many but that probably takes the cake as far as this episode is concerned and probably future episodes the 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 declaration by one man and he's only one man a citizen, just as you uh, or me, to throw it all away is unpardonable, in my opinion, and frankly is probably disqualifying in my eyes for uh, nomination to the top of the party come 2024. <sighs> I've gone on long enough, Father. Uh, relieve me. Give me. So give I, me. Mm -hmm, your so I do. Yeah, so I do have a couple. I do have a couple of questions for you. So it's uh, it's Thursday night. Is is Biden going to make an announcement this weekend? For 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 the presidency for the next election. What do you hmm. think? What are your feelings on that? Would he declare his intention to run for the presidency this weekend? Hmm. I, I don't imagine he will. Um, what would be the, the benefit of his doing so at this stage so early? Well, I, I did hear some rumors that that he was contemplating putting out a message, and that's why um, I wasn't sure if you had heard the same thing. And uh, I thought it was slated for this weekend. He was he was going to announce, but maybe I'm wrong on that. And then I had another interesting question or statement, or if you care to share with our viewers what you're planning on doing this coming Tuesday. Ah, uh, so I thought you might ask. Uh, of that, I have much more knowledge. So this coming Tuesday. I'll be running, or I'll be attempting to run, from Marco Island, which is on the southwest part of Florida, very close to the town in which I live, to Miami, Florida, which is on the east coast, and with which everyone is much more familiar. That distance is about 100 miles in length. Now, I plan to do this in less than a day, hopefully fewer than 20 hours, if my legs allow me. Um, and I should say, it's something um, that I've wanted to do for a long while, something of an e-day fix uh, by which I've been consumed. 
but I really haven't had the training or the uh, aptitude to be able to handle it. I think at this point I do. I've been I've been working pretty hard and running a lot, um, and I think I'll be able to accomplish it with the support of my interlocutor and father and mother in this instance, um, helping me along the way. Uh, now, I I did set up a GoFundMe page to which I'll uh, include a link in the show notes below to try to raise some funds for this adventure. Um, I thought maybe during the giving season uh, between Thanksgiving and Christmas might be a, a fruitful time to, to be able to raise some funds. And the funds were uh, destined to go to those families affected by Hurricane Ian, which seems like it happened so long ago. And in some ways it did a, a few months ago at the end of September. But families down here still are struggling. I know quite a few people whose houses were destroyed, who are still living in hotels, which is just shocking to, to think about um, for that amount of time. But it's it's true and it's real. Um, so I, I think at this point I've raised probably close to $1,000 or so. Um, if anyone feels like being a little bit generous uh, at this time of year, uh, you can certainly contribute a small amount to my humble little campaign but, but we plan to to document uh, document this run uh, do a little bit of filming um hopefully make a short youtube video out of it um you know of with somewhat modest production quality it's not going to be anything um too elaborate but just to demonstrate uh what the the human body is capable of doing or at least this this human body hopefully um so I'm excited about it. Dad, what are your thoughts about it? I know you're a little less sanguine about the prospect. You and mom are not so keen about my doing this. Well, I will say that I'm, I'm fearful of the uh, the wildlife on the route that you chose. Not, not, not an inconsiderable uh, uh, prospect. It, now, this road on which I'll be running is called Alligator Alley. So... My hope is that there are no encounters uh, with the animal after which it is named. But there are also pythons. We can't forget the pythons as well, an invasive species that are roaming the Everglades. So I'll basically be cutting across the Everglades. I don't think the wildlife will be a significant issue. I worry more about the drivers than the, than the alligators, but, but we shall see. Well, I'm, I'm going to be there as always to support you and um... Uh, whatever you need uh, at the rest stops and um, you know, hopefully we can video some of this and some of our viewers may be interested. I, I may even be able to try to do like a Facebook live, um, but that's going to be a little bit complicated. It might be a little bit beyond uh, my knowledge base, but uh, you know, I, I, I'm going to be there to support you and I wish you a lot of success. And I think you're doing it for a very worthy cause and uh, just in our area or the area, which, which I which I have a a second home. Um, that area, they're still suffering from from the devastations of the storm. Um, there were up the street. There were a lot of uh, uh, trailer uh, trailers, and there's a there's a trailer park. And unfortunately, when the water comes up in in a trailer, it pushes up all the floorboards, and um, they're still struggling with a lot of debris there, uh, mold issues. Um, so I think you're doing it for a worthy cause, and I think the money will be uh, well appreciated by by the residents there who, again, as you've mentioned, they're, they're still in need of assistance. Yeah, and I certainly... So thank you. you. Oh, of course, of course. Well, don't thank me yet. We'll, we'll have to uh, accomplish the run first. Uh, but yes, and if you're unable to give, uh, just keep these people in your thoughts and prayers. Again, we're, we're all countrymen we're all in this together we might have disagreements politically ideologically philosophically um, but uh here in our thought bubble everyone's included everyone is is related in some way or another um, we have to acknowledge this interconnectedness um, and i think we'll be much better for having done so so with that dad i'll sign us off uh thank you so much for joining us this evening uh, on finnerin's wake uh, and our thought bubble uh, for whose website I want you to keep an eye out. We'll be in sh we'll be sure to inform you of its uh, of its going live once it finally does. So, farewell from Finneran's Wake. Until next time.